all you need is love. Love is all you need. So sang the Beatles in 1967. Then, in 1970, they broke up. It turns out that not even love can insulate us from conflict. It's everywhere. No one agrees on everything and everyone disagrees on something. This is why many pastors will not um, wed couples who are seeking to be married if they uh, do one of those things when during counseling they say, well, we've never had a fight. We just agree on everything. And immediately a pastor like, this is a red flag because they haven't learned how to lovingly disagree with one another. And a couple that cannot charitably disagree with one another is in for a very, very long marriage. Loving disagreement is a lost art in our current culture. Many have no idea how to think differently from someone and yet still love them and care for them. So as we come to Acts 15, the back end of the chapter in verses 36 through 41 this morning, and we encounter conflict, I want to exhort you to learn to lovingly disagree and to pursue peace when conflict comes. This, these verses are a, a great comfort to us because they show us that even though Paul and Barnabas fail and mess up, God does not. God is sovereign even over conflict. God's purposes will be accomplished. And so that's our main idea that Jesus is sovereign over conflict. And our exhortation is to lovingly disagree and pursue peace. You can see your outline there before you. We're going to talk about, well, conflict. We're going to see that conflict can happen to anyone can be heartfelt, can be productive, and can be resolved. Let's pray, and we'll begin our time together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your voice through your words this morning. We ask that you would tune our hearts and our minds to a frequency of grace, so that we might be focused on learning about Jesus learning how we can become more like Him, learning how we can extend grace like Him towards others. Father, we pray that You would be glorified during this time. And Father, what, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us, this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. And so we are in Acts. We're continuing our journey through the book, and we've summarized the book by saying Jesus goes up, the Spirit comes down, the church goes out, and God brings people in. And we've seen this happen. Jesus has ascended to his throne from where he rules and reigns and pours out his Holy Spirit on the church. The church, filled with his Holy Spirit, fills up Jerusalem with their witness about Jesus' substitutionary life, his death, his burial and resurrection. God brings people in. Jesus is building his church in Acts. 
But the church, even in Acts, is not perfect. But people get, get that messed up sometimes. I can't tell you how often I've heard Christians say, well, if we could just get our church back to the way it was in Acts, then everything would be perfect. It's not true. The church in Acts has troubles and really intense church discipline policies. Right? Ananias and Sapphira killed for lying. It's intense. The church encounters troubles, sometimes in, in the form from within when they've got uh, wolves among the sheep, oftentimes from people outside as persecutions come. Many are killed. The message goes on. We've seen theological controversy. And now this week, we will see Satan once more try to upend what God is doing in his church, but this time he's going to try and make use of relational conflict. He's going to set Christians against one another. He's going to set Paul and Barnabas against one another. But once more, we'll find, as we have over and over again in Acts, that in the face of adversity, God's word prevails. God gets the job done. Even in the midst of conflict, God is working out his purposes for his church. That brings us to verse 35 where we'll start. Paul and Barnabas, along with many others, remained in Antioch, teaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now, Paul and Barnabas, they agree on a lot of stuff. And this is an area where they have 100% agreement that they should care not only for the church in Antioch, but for other churches, specifically the churches that they've planted. And their care for these churches, we've already seen it on display. They, they went on that missionary journey and they stayed where they were preaching the gospel. Where Christians became Christians, they stayed and taught about Jesus, even at great cost to themselves. Remember, they were in, I think it was Lystra? Sorry, no Lystra, Iconium. One of those two. Uh, Iconium, I think. In, in the, there's got a whole bunch of the city that are poisoning the minds of others against them, and yet they stay. And then that group rises up eventually after a long period of time. It's like, we're going to stone you, and so they move on. Eventually, even though they move on and they continue teaching the gospel, Paul is stoned. And then after all that, after this long missionary journey, they've been preaching, they've been making disciples, they've been staying, they've been investing in these other churches. Instead of going straight home, they take the long way home so that they can visit these churches and continue pouring their lives into them. In Acts 14.21, so they returned to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith and by telling them, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church and prayed with fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so now, again, Paul is saying, it's been a little bit of time. We've been home for a while. We did the council. We clarified the gospel. We're, we're cultivating relationships between Jews and Gentiles. But let's go back and continue pouring ourselves into these churches. Barnabas thinks that's a good idea. Paul thinks that's a good idea. We should think that's a good idea. Care for other churches is part of being a Christian. 
there is a poisonous idea that somehow churches, biblically faithful churches that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ are in competition against one another. That's a terrible idea. There's the my church versus these other churches. It's just not how Jesus views it. That's not how Paul and Barnabas view things. It's not how we should view things. Rockfish Valley Baptist Church is, is not in competition with any other biblically faithful church. We're all embassies of the same kingdom. All subjects of the same king. All working together to make Jesus rule and reign known. It would be foolish to pit ourselves against other churches. It would be foolish to navel gaze and concern ourselves only with what goes on inside these walls between us. God calls us to have a, a vision that goes beyond ourselves. And Paul and Barnabas exemplify that. The church at Antioch exemplifies that. They're sending out missionaries. They're planting churches. They're sending people to cultivate those churches so that they grow up faithfully following Jesus. And so we do well to follow their model. We want to be a church that cares for other churches. And we do this by, by praying for other churches specifically that God would flourish them, that He would raise up leaders for them, that they would remain biblically faithful. We can do this by uh, contributing to church plants like we do to the well over in Lovingston or Uptown Church in Martinsville. We pray for them too, but, but we give financially to those endeavors so that the gospel might be known, so that those churches can, can grow up. Sometimes uh, you guys let me go to other churches and preach so that I can encourage the brothers and sisters there. A big way that I don't know that uh, we give enough lip service to, we don't talk about enough, is just by supporting international missionaries. Now, we're a little church, and so we can't support a, a missionary all by ourselves. But we can give to Lottie Moon through the Southern Baptist Convention's cooperative program. You write on your little line on your check, Lottie Moon. And it goes to international missionaries. This is how we send missionaries all over the world. And we can be a part of uh, not only the growth in our church, but the growth of churches uh, across the state and across the globe. And we want to be a people that shares the heart of God. And God loves all kinds of people in all kinds of places. He loves the nations. And so too should we. We should pray for churches that are faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ to flourish. We should look for ways to care for them. That's what Paul and Barnabas have done, and it's what they're uh, getting ready to do here. Care for churches to which they don't belong. They agree on that much. After all, they are really good friends. I mean, this friendship is one I think uh, we don't really... I haven't really thought about it. I hadn't thought about it before this week. Maybe you hadn't. But think about how their friendship developed. We remember Saul's famous conversion back in Acts in chapter 9. He's knocked from his horse. There's a blinding light. Jesus, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He becomes a Christian. And then when he goes to Jerusalem to get together with uh, the rest of the church, they don't want anything to do with him. They're like, Paul, this, Paul, Saul, we know him we, he can't come in here. He's not really a Christian. This is, this is a ruse. He's looking for a way to discover who each of us are and to kill us. 
He doesn't want anything to do with us. We can't trust him. And then Barnabas shows up. He puts his arm around Paul. And he takes him in to the church in Jerusalem and says, No, I will vouch for Paul. He is a Christian. He was saved by Christ. He's preaching the truth. You can trust him. And so that's kind of how Paul is folded into the church in Jerusalem. Later, as they're worshiping together with the church at Antioch, and at the beginning of Acts 13, we read, As they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. They're they're designated as kind of a dynamic duo to do the work of the Holy Spirit in this church planting effort. And so they embark on that first missionary journey. They they traveled together long days, long nights. They sat next to the fire together. They ate food together. They endured suffering together. Like Barnabas was there when Paul was stoned. He was there when, when they saw people try to worship them as gods. They've endured all of these things together. I mean, they were even on the same debate team at the Jerusalem Council. These they're thick as thieves. They're friends. And yet, even their great friendship that had been built over uh, years, I think, at this point, is not enough to save them from conflict. Brothers and sisters, do not take your relationships for granted. Do not take your relationships for granted. No relationship is rift-proof. There are always things that threaten our relationships. We must be on guard, ready to cut away any weed of bitterness or vine of resentment that might start to creep up. We need to pay attention to our relationships. Don't take them for granted. Not even Paul and Barnabas could do this. Their friendship, these two super godly men, right? Paul wrote 13 books of your New Testament. He's probably the most famous missionary in church history. Barnabas is described as the son of encouragement, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And these two godly men, even these two godly men, their friendship wasn't safe. Your relationships are not safe. There is an enemy who does not get tired, who does not sleep, constantly looking for cracks in your relationships into which he can insert himself and cause a rift to open up. Be on guard. Don't take your relationships for granted. Work at them. Paul and Barnabas Their relationship enters into a season of conflict. We see it here in in verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And so we can, we can see the shape of this conflict. 
It's not over what they are to do. They agree about that. It's over how they are to do it. And really, who they are to bring with them. John Mark, if you recall, had gone with them before. And then Paul views it as a desertion. He left them. We don't really know why he left. We know that Paul thinks it was a desertion. Look at verse 13 of chapter 13. Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia. But John, that's John Mark, left them and went back to Jerusalem. He abandoned them. And now Barnabas, sweet Barnabas, he wants to bring this clown with them again. And Paul is like, brother, I love you, but sometimes you are just so gracious, overly gracious. You've got rose-colored glasses on. He abandoned us before. He went AWOL. We cannot trust him again. There's too much on the line. Think of the resources that we put into him last time. All of that lost because he abandoned us. It's, it's a sweet that you want to do that, brother. But we cannot. It would simply be unwise. And Barnabas, saying back to Paul, but brother, you don't understand. I know John Mark like you don't. He's my nephew after all. He is his nephew. Had he been able to look into the future, he might have said, he's going to write the book of Mark too. He didn't know that yet though. He's my nephew and everybody deserves a second chance. I believe in him just like I once believed in you. Trust me. Trust me, we, we can bring him along. And on and on, conversation would go. We understand why they would disagree here, right? You can see both sides. Paul wants to act in accord with, with wisdom, kind of, you know, fool me once, shame on me, fool me twice, shame on you. And Barnabas, he, he wants to be really gracious and kind. Both guys have good points. Who's right? Well, I don't know. I think either could be right. And that's, that's kind of the point. This is a situation where either Paul or Barnabas could have just simply made a better effort to understand the other and come up with a creative solution. But instead, we see that they part company. Now, the word there for sharp disagreement is one that is, it carries the weight of like violent action, emotional outburst. So this, this is not an amicable parting. This is like leaving in a huff, exasperated. And I gotta tell you, I'm so glad this is here. I'm so glad this is here uh, because it's, it's refreshing. It's, it's refreshing to see that, that Paul the Apostle who, who wrote, uh, love does not insist on its own way. It's good to see him insisting on his own way. It's kind of refreshing to see Barnabas, the son of encouragement, act like a son of entitlement and insist on his own way. Not that I want to celebrate their sin, but it reminds me that even men of the likes of Paul and Barnabas, they need Jesus. It reminds me that, that you and I need Jesus. 
that we can't do a good enough job, we can't do enough good things to make up for our offense against God. That we really did need Jesus to come and live the perfect life in our place. We really do need the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from all sin and all unrighteousness. We really do need the resurrection of Jesus to free us from fear of death. We really do need Jesus to make us right with God. Paul and Barnabas needed him too. It's brilliant. Jesus loves sinners. What a great reminder it is when we see godly men like Paul and Barnabas sin in Scripture. But how wonderful it is to be reminded that God loves sinners like us and that we need Jesus. We need the gospel. It's also refreshing because I think once more folks look for perfect churches or perfect relationships and there's just no such thing. We, we, we don't need perfect churches. We need churches full of people who are willing to repent. Repenting churches. There's no such thing as a perfect church because churches are full of sinners. This church is full of sinners. And we will, this is going to surprise you, we will sin against one another. If you belong to any church, any fellowship, in a way that matters, and you belong for long enough, your feelings are going to get hurt. And that's when you need to Repent and forgive. If you're the offender, you need to repent. If you're the one who's been offended, you need to stand ready to forgive. This is how we display the glory of God in our life together, by living out the gospel. Forgiving and being forgiven. We're going to get our feelings hurt. It's okay. It's part of growing in Christ together. Not that we ever aim to do that, but it is a reality. And if you've, if you've belonged to a church, maybe if you've belonged to this church, and you've never had your feelings hurt, might I suggest to you that you haven't belonged enough? You haven't got close enough. Certainly not to me. I am a big sinner. Chelsea will tell you all about it. You catch her after. When we have hurt feelings, we must resolve and be remind we must resolve to go to the cross. We must resolve to live out the gospel. We must resolve to return to Jesus over and over and over again. We want to be a church that, that learns when we have disputes, when we have our feelings hurt, that learns to forgive and to lovingly disagree. We want to be a church that pursues peace with one another. Paul and Barnabas demonstrate for us that conflict can happen to anyone and that it can be heartfelt. It can be genuine disagreement. But we can also learn that conflict, it can be productive. It can be productive. Look with me at verse 39. 
They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. This, this disagreement that, that is kind of an emotional thing, an outburst, leaving in, in a huff. Like it didn't have to be that way. Again, they, they could have pursued a creative solution. But it, it seems like it, instead of working hard to understand one another, they just quickly moved on. This, this happens so often in churches. It really does. Right? Uh, somebody, um, you've heard all kinds, of, we were sharing some silly stories of churches splitting this morning in Sunday school. But you hear of like, there's a group of, of Christians in a church and there's one, they got to get a new filing cabinet. And there's one group of people that wants a filing cabinet with five drawers that is black. And then there's another group of people that wants a filing cabinet that has three drawers and is blue. And they just can't figure it out. It gets, the, the conflicts get bigger and bigger until you have a second or third Baptist church down the street. You know, subtitled like the church of the blue filing cabinet. The, the, these things happen. I mean, we laugh, but in the past year, I don't know how distant it is, at least five years, like, there have been things like that that have happened here. It's an infamous fist fight over the placement of a bush in the parking lot. Right? Churches fight over these things. And, and the answer to coming up with, like, just disagreeing here is not to, to fist fight, it's to learn to lovingly disagree. The answer isn't to split and then say that you're planting a church. It's not, it's not a church plant. It's more like an amputation. But that, that's, that's not the answer. Churches do it all the time. The, the answer isn't to, I didn't get my way and so I'm moving on. No, the answer is to press in and to love harder. To say, okay, I, I didn't get my way. And that's okay. This is not a gospel issue. This is not an essential it's this tertiary. It's not that important. Who cares about the color of the filing cabinet or how many drawers it has? The unity we have in Christ is far more important. Brothers and sisters, unity doesn't happen by accident. It is worked towards. It is cultivated. And cultivate it, we must. I think one of the ways we can do this is by... Um, adopting a principle. This is not a biblical principle. It's a management principle. Uh, companies like Amazon make use of it, and I think it makes a lot of sense. They call it disagree and commit. And so if you have a group of people and they can't really agree on something and a decision has to eventually be made, once that decision is made, everybody commits to it wholeheartedly. And so, um, for example, let's say uh, that we're all going to go together for lunch somewhere this afternoon after service. And a whole bunch of you uh, want to go to margaritas because that's where y'all like to eat for whatever reason. I don't know. People love it. Uh, we're, we're going to margaritas again. It's Sunday. That's what we do on Sunday. And then me and a coalition of like four or five people are like, actually, guys, we should probably get sushi. Let's get some sushi today. Isn't that awesome? And, and so, so we kind of have this dispute. We can't, can't get along. But eventually... Even though we disagree, because we're committed to eating together, we all go to one of those restaurants. Let's say you all are like, you know what, that's cute, the four of you want to go to sushi, but we'll serve you today. And say so we all go get sushi together. 
We eat together because that's our primary commitment. Our disagreement, we can disagree about it, but once a decision has been made about where we're going, we all would go together, and so we would disagree and commit. This is one of the ways that we can live life together as a church, learning to lovingly disagree and pursue peace. And I intentionally shared an illustration that was over something incredibly trivial because small matters and small things are the most often the culprits of really big conflict. Mountains do often grow from molehills. I just I can't help but think of some of the most bitter fights in my marriage just over silly things. And if you've been married or maybe you have roommates, you've probably experienced some of this, like who's able to eat leftovers from a restaurant that you put in the fridge? Is that free game? Not in my house. Though some people think it is. Or which way do you uh, put the toilet paper on the roll? Is it, is it under or over? Over is the correct answer there. Where do you squeeze the, t- the toothpaste from? So, I, I, you know, I, I, when I, she's not in here, so I can tell you. Chelsea's an animal. She squeezes from the top. And I'm like, it pushes all the toothpaste to the back. You gotta squeeze it from the back to get it out. We argue over foolish things. Or maybe if you're going somewhere, directions, right? I think the best way is to take this. No, really, you should take this exit. We need to learn to disagree about things charitably with love and kindness. Learn to disagree and commit. What I'm trying to say is we need to learn to not give up so easy. We need to learn to not do the, I didn't get my way, so I'm going to go join a different church. I didn't get my way, and so I'm not going to engage that person anymore in relationship. I didn't get my way, and so I'm going I'm to sever myself from some of these Christian relationships I have. Don't, don't give up so easy. Fight for your relationships. That is a biblical principle. Romans 12, 18, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Ephesians 4, Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to live worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We have to fight for our friendships. It won't come easy. It takes investing. Fight for your friendships. And let me tell you, especially if if you are a member here, if you are a Christian, this is really important in your Christian relationships. Because there is a very strong connection between our relationship with one another and our relationship with God. Don't be mistaken. When you put distance between yourself and other Christians... You are putting some distance between yourself and Jesus. When you harbor feelings of hatred towards another Christian, you're harboring feelings of hatred towards Jesus. 1 John 4, 19-21. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And we have this command from him. 
The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Fight for your relationships. Don't give up. Don't part ways so easily because you had an emotional kind of falling out. Paul and Barnabas show us that anyone can have a falling out, that it can be over over legitimate things, and we also learn that it can be productive. Look with me, verse 39 again. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company, and Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas. Silas, we're told earlier, left for Jerusalem, and so he is either doubled back to Antioch, or Paul writes him a note and Silas comes back. So Paul chose Silas and departed after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the Lord. He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. God works in a surprising way here. He sovereignly works out that Paul and Barnabas, even though they have this kind of sinful tiff, that he doubles the missionary effort. We now have two missionary teams going out instead of one. It really is brilliant. It's kind of a happy result. Got there in not so happy a way. And had Paul and Barnabas just taken a little while to understand clearly where their differences were and come up with a creative solution, they could have come up with this, right? Hey, brother, we, we're not going to agree about John Mark. What else could we do? Well, I, I want to go on a missionary journey. You want to go on a missionary journey. Barnabas, how about you take Mark and I'll, I'll get Silas and we'll go. We'll, we'll be able to cover way more ground that way and we'll be multiplying ourselves. I'll be teaching Silas how to be like me and, and you can be teaching Mark how to be like you and the church will be blessed. This is awesome. We have lovingly disagreed. He could have pursued peace, could have moved on, but that's not how it happened. Barnabas went off in a huff and God sovereignly used even their sin to accomplish his good and perfect will. Conflict can be productive. It wasn't super productive here. I mean, God made it productive. But we want, we, we want to try to make our conflicts productive without the sin, right? Conflict has a way, it's a, it's a harbinger of clarity. We saw it with the Jerusalem Council, brought clarity to what the gospel is. And it can also help us come up with really creative solutions. Paul and Barnabas could have come up with the solution that they kind of arrive at on accident. Their accident, God's plan. And so my point here is that we need to squeeze conflicts when they come for all that they are worth rather than being squeezed by them. What I mean is is when drama comes, the right response is, is not to get all kinds of anxiety and worry and to freak out about it. The better response is to go, what would God, what does God have to teach me through this conflict? What, what is he making more clear to me? And what is the creative way we can move forward together? What is the creative way that he's moving the purposes of his church forward? I do wonder, what what would your life look like if when you enter into conflict, you ask the question, not, not the question, how can I get my way, 
but how can I bring honor and glory to God? Because that's where we go wrong. We go into conflict going, I want my way. The right question is, how can I bring glory to God? And I'm not, I'm not saying there's never a time to stick to your guns, right? I am saying when, when we do have to stick to our guns and we do have to disagree, we want to do it lovingly. We want to part company with a hug and a handshake, not with a huff and a puff. Squeeze conflict for all it's worth. Conflict can be productive and it can also be resolved. It can be resolved. We don't have it in the text right in front of us. But we do know from the rest of the New Testament that in all likelihood, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark reconcile. Right? Paul gives Barnabas a nice shout out in 1 Corinthians 9. And he writes a whole bunch about how Mark is useful to him. Look, I'll just read a couple of them. Colossians 4.10 Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you greetings, as does Mark. Mark's hanging out with Paul. Barnabas' cousin, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Or Philemon, verse 24. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, with Paul again, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. Or in 2 Timothy 4.11, when Paul is anticipating his martyrdom, he writes, Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you, for he is useful to me in the ministry. He wants Mark at the end of his life. This guy that he could not, would not take on his missionary journey with him. Reconciliation is always possible. There is no relationship that's too broken, it can't be fixed. And the cross is proof of that. There existed between us and God an infinite chasm. The holy God was as far from us as the east is from the west. We deserved nothing more than death stretched out across eternity in hell. That relationship was broken beyond repair. And yet God determined in his infinite wisdom and love that he would fix it. By sending Jesus to live a perfect life, die a substitutionary death, and raise from the dead. This is how we are made right with God. Because of what he has done. And all we have to do to enjoy this peace that has been purchased by the blood of Christ is to turn from our sins and put our faith in Jesus. No relationship is beyond repair. Who do you need to offer forgiveness to this week? Who do you need to ask forgiveness from this week? Christians have been forgiven much, and so we love much and forgive much. It's for good reason the Lord's Prayer says, forgive us as we forgive our debtors, because we're to be a people who forgive 
as we have been forgiven. Pastor, you don't know. You don't know what they did to me. I don't. You've done worse to God and he's forgiven you. Show grace and mercy. How many times do I have to forgive somebody? That's Peter's question, Matthew 18, right? How many times, if my brother sins against me, should I forgive him? Seven times, Lord? Not seven times, but 70 times seven. The point? Do it over and over and over again. Forgive. Some of us have relationships that are broken and need to be fixed this week. If they're Christian relationships, there's no reason that they shouldn't be. The bond of the Spirit is thicker than blood. The unity we enjoy in Christ is more important than any petty conflict you have. And to hold on to your bitterness and your sin rather than reconciling with your brother or sister in Christ is an affront to God. You must be reconciled to your brothers and sisters as you have been reconciled to God in Christ Jesus. Yes, God is sovereign even over conflict. And he will build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail. But you, your job, is to learn to lovingly disagree when you must and to pursue peace as far as it depends on you. Let's pray together this morning. Lord, we thank you that you loved us when we were unlovely. Thank you that in Christ, you have made us beautiful. That we don't need to wear the filthy garments of our sin because you have put upon our shoulders the perfect, dazzling white garments of Christ's righteousness. Thank you that even though we deserve your wrath, you've brought us into your family as heirs to your wealth. You have given us all good things because you wanted to, because you're good. We thank you for this. We thank you that you have reconciled us to yourself. We thank you for the gift of faith. We pray that you would make us faithful in reconciling with others, in pursuing peace as far as it depends on us, so that when people look at this church, they see a display of your glory. Not a perfect church, but a church committed to loving one another, to forgiving and being forgiven, to the glory of our Lord Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.